this week's episode of the Starting Eleven podcast, we've got Champions League action, misery for both United and Spurs in the Premier League, and we've invited our first ever guest, Andre McRae, to talk about what it means to be a supporter in and around the world of Toronto FC. All that and more coming right up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode nine of the Starting Eleven podcast. I'm your host, Justin Borrow, and with me today is Peter Robinson. Support local football. <laughs> and the one, the only, the always knowledgeable Chengiz Khan. Did you know that No Not November was in fact actually started by the Catholic Church to discourage masturbation? <laughs> That's what that means? Yeah. What? I thought it was just I couldn't have chocolate-covered almonds in November. Nope, nope, that's what that meant. And as ah, we, no. I would like to um, tell the viewers that this joke has successfully made the wheels turn in Justin's mind. You can see the orangutan-like <laughs> facial expressions at play. <laughs> He's equal parts amused and bemused. I don't, I don't have a response this week. I'm very disappointed. Yes. Last week I had my high, and now I've just crashed. He was so happy this week as well. He was such a he was so proud of himself. I, I was very happy. It was up like until, he took his first steps. <laughs> I was happy until yesterday at twelve thirty, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but we, we are still coming. consuming delicious German beer this week. Uh, what are we drinking this week, Peter? We are drinking Weisstefaner Hefeweiss beer. It is personally my favorite beer of all time. Um, it is. Delicious, um, super cloudy for a vice beer. Um, actually, has a lot of, uh, I guess you could say it's bready tones to it, but it's also citrusy at the same time. It's amazing. Everyone should try it. Just go to the LCBO and look for the longest name possible, and it will be there. Fun fact: the reason that I am not talking about the beer this week is because I could not pronounce the name. That's I, gra- true. I grabbed it out of the fridge, <laughs> and as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Peter, you you got to talk about the beer this week." Could you please try? Uh, sure, it's um, Weissens Weiss Weissens Stefaner Weiss Weissens Stefaner Weiss Stefaner Weiss Stefaner. Yeah, mm-hmm. nope. Not even give a Haifa Weisberg. We got. We have. We have to get a South American beer next week. Yeah, he's, he's gonna roll your R's. Yeah, he, he's, 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 it's okay. He's okay with the European stuff, but the South American stuff is the, is the stuff that's just hilarious. That's yeah. Remember, remember, remember the Alejandro Pozuelo debacle. Anyway, I think he, he just about got it right there. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Close enough. All right, guys. So uh, in part one here, we are gonna discuss the Champions League recap, and we're gonna talk about craziness that, that one night in Paris, and we're not talking about the Paris Hilton sex tape in this one. Um, um, United, PSG, wow. yeah, I feel a little ashamed United defeat PSG 3-1. Uh, United were missing 10 regular starters due to injury. Uh, and the game finished with two of United's youngsters on the pitch with Chong and Greenwood, which I think was awesome by Solskjaer. Because when you look back at this game in 10 years' time, oh, and you say, hey, who is, who is... Who was in the midfield for United during that game when they came back to beat PSG? Some guys who play for Oxford United. And they're, they're going to look and be like, Chong and who? Oh, that so, lad, that uh, lad played, I, had a really good shift for Accrington Stanley the other day. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. He, he knocked out Millwall. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, this game had everything. It had drama. Uh, it was exciting. Uh, Lukaku scores right out of the gate, I think a minute 42 into the game, uh, off a terrible defensive error by PSG. Uh, Lukaku has just been on fire. Uh, he had two goals per game in the last three matches before this weekend. Um, so basically, he had six goals in three matches in all competitions. Just absolutely on fire. Like I said last week, guys, the Belgian beast has reawoken, it seems. Um, but... I mean, PSG bottled their chances. They, there was a f- quite a few opportunities where they could have put the game away. They, had, I mean, Mbappe was in one-on-one with De Gea, and he just absolutely fluffed his lines. He slipped up on the wet pitch and, and lost control. Um, and and then the second goal was a, a huge error by Buffon. You know, a, a, a dipping ball from Rashford comes in. He he fumbles it, and Lukaku's on the doorstep to, to hammer it home. Um, but I think where we really want to get... Uh, get to is um, look 
Last week, we had the opportunity to discuss the controversy regarding the lack of VAR. Uh, this match had controversy going the other way because VAR was used um, to give the uh, decisive penalty against Kimpembe. Um, What do you guys think? Did you guys think Kimpembe committed a handball offense or was PSG wronged by the referee and VAR? So Chengiz and I actually disagreed on this uh, midweek. So I thought penalty based on the fact that his arm was in an unnatural position. Um, so he may have been jumping, but at the same time, his arm was outside of his body. If his arm had been beside his body and hit his arm, no penalty. But the fact that it was sort of flailed outside his body. I can understand why they gave a penalty, even though the shot realistically wasn't going to go on net. Um, it was kind of just a hit and hope, and it worked for them. Um, so realistically, I could see why they gave a penalty, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm on, the, uh, I'm on the fence. I think, it, yeah, no, like uh, I see both sides, and I am also on the fence. I definitely think it was contentious, it was controversial, did VAR help in this situation? I don't know. I don't think it did. It the helped United. Uh, it helped <laughs> United, certainly. Um, but for me, it, it, like Kimpembe didn't have his arm outstretched, which was my one of my big qualifying factors. Is like though he didn't make an active motion to go for the ball. Yes, his position was not you know by his side, but then also he was mid-flight. So, and and when you take that into context. I think his arm was not arguably in an in an unnatural position. So I thought it was a little harsh. I thought it was gratuitous. It was fortunate for United uh, to get the penalty. But with respect to VAR, what, could somebody remind me, what was the original foul or what was the original decision given? Uh, the original one, I believe, was uh, wasn't a penalty. I think it was a corner. And then with VAR mm. review, it came back as a penalty. Yeah, the original call was a corner. Right. Now, I, I remember, and you guys can call me on this, because I, I actually had said to you guys when it happened that I didn't think it was a handball when I first saw it. Um, but then kind of going back and watching it again, uh, I'm on the fence. I can see the argument for no handball. Um, but at the same time, I'm more on the fence leaning towards saying yes a handball the reason i say that is because although his arm wasn't necessarily outstretched he jumped and turned his back to the play which means that he was therefore no longer able to kind of um see where the ball was coming uh he was he was turning his back to the play and so he was putting himself in a vulnerable situation i feel like if he would have stayed stood and faced that ball which i understand who wants to stand there and face uh a shot, you know, three yards away from Diago Dello. Um, but I mean, you know, if I feel like if he would have just stood there and, and faced the shot and it hit off his arm, it probably wouldn't have been given. But because he jumped uh, and his arm did leave the side of his body and he turned his back to the play, I feel yeah. like what he was doing there was he was sort of taking himself um, out of the out of the play and 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 no longer now facing the the traje trajectory of the ball. So you can't say that he tried to get his hand out of the way. His his back right, was into the play. Right. So so basically what you're saying is because he didn't he wasn't more present about his intent. It counted against him. Exactly. I I, I can I can see that. Uh, but even then like that should that's that's still a harsh argument to make to give the handball you know like i mean you and, have to look at context case, I, I, too it's it's the what the yeah. 92nd minute um you know united score they move on uh they don't right. score psg moves on like it was a, they're in they're in paris so it, it there was a lot at stake for that call now i mean if if it was a nil nil game and that call happened, nobody would say anything. There wouldn't be a discussion because the, no. it wouldn't be as contentious. But because of the, the the gravity of that call, obviously people are talking. And I mean, I feel like the rule for handball therefore needs to change because it's it's not... Because the, the, the referee's not able to read um, intention. They're not mind readers. They, you can't say uh, with 100%... Unless the player full-on punches the ball off the line, <coughs> Luis Suarez, um, you, <laughs> it's, it's hard for the referee to say if a player intentionally put his arm in the way of the ball or, or tried yeah. to, to, to block the ball with his arm. So, anyways, look, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but let's talk quickly about Rashford's five-minute penalty. It took five minutes for um, from the time of the shot till the actual penalty was taken. And that's a lot of time for a player to think, with that sort of gravity on them, uh, for a player to have to think about what he's going to do 
Rashford was cool as a cucumber. I mean, 21-year-old, um, he took it as coolly as you like, uh, and he just smashed it right past Buffon. I think he had decided where he was going right from the beginning. He didn't change his mind, and um, you know he took his chance. And look, the referee called it. Um, United took the chance, and uh, you know that's the way the the ball. I heard rolls. Uh, Rashford's quite good at FIFA, so I'm not surprised he went for the FIFA option. <laughs> and hey, Buffon um, went the right yeah. way. He was just a little bit too slow. And I mean, you know, good on Buffon or good on Rashford to be able to smash. In, it. in all seriousness, though, I mean, great maturity by Rashford to shoulder that responsibility and to execute it in the manner that that he did. Um, it's it's more of an indictment of the state of VAR right now than anything else that that decision took five minutes to review yeah it it does it did it doesn't help var's case uh to be taken seriously it doesn't help the game's case to to to, to try and implement it um you know like if the if the call is that contentious if the call is that if video review evidence is not in like clear enough to to to, to make the distinction that there was a clear and obvious error as, as is stated within the VAR rules, then they should just go back to the referee's decision. There should be a time limit on VAR because you do not want to disrupt the flow and momentum of the game. Now, I get it. This is different. End of the game. Penalty decision. Blah, 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 blah. It was a dead ball situation anyways with the corner. But still... Like there needs to be some standards brought in, and the, you can't be having this. Like it, it, this is this okay? This was for the quarterfinals. This is a round of sixteen Champions League. What if this happens in the semis mm-hmm. or the quarters or the finals? You know, suddenly you've got a bigger. You have much bigger stakes, much bigger, uh, much more riding on that that decision being correct and being done in a timely manner, so that so as not to create controversy, so as not to upset the flow of the game. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, there, VAR does have a lot of work to do um, before it's going to be at its uh, its optimal usage. But um, you know, I think that they got the call right, and uh, as a United fan, I am not complaining <laughs> whatsoever. Um, and I mean, the fact that it was against PSG just makes it a thousand times funnier because they seem to just mm. bottle it every year. And this year, they thought for sure they had it, and somehow they we got s- the single greatest gift. <laughs> In modern gifting history from Neymar. Neymar just... It was great. <laughs> what is happening? What, what, what is life? Oh, uh, man. Neymar. Oh, good times. Um, but let's talk about the other game that happened. Uh, so after Spurs have had quite a um, bit of a tumble in the league play over the last couple of weeks. Bit of a tumble? Uh, uh, a huge Whoa. tumble. Um, but uh, Spurs had a great showing against Dortmund. They won 1-0, winning the series 4-0 on aggregate. Um you know, Laurie stepped up with some massive saves, uh, and it was a good bounce back for Spurs after you know disastrous couple of weeks in league play. Um, Dortmund were disappointing in both legs. Uh, they looked much better in this match. Uh, I mean, they've had a few hiccups in the Bundesliga as well, which you know has resulted in Bayern now pulling level with them at the top of the table on 57 points apiece. Uh, and so I'm sure Dortmund might actually be glad to be gone out of this competition, uh, have it behind them, so they can kind of put all their focus on the league. I would have to agree with you, seeing as Dortmund just lost to Augsburg, um, who I believe are third last in the Bundesliga right now. So, realistically, it's almost a blessing in disguise that they've they've crashed out of the Champions League now. Um, but, you know, we spoke about this uh, a couple weeks ago. Dortmund hasn't looked good in the Champions League. Um, you know, I, I'm a Spurs supporter, and coming into this match... Kind of a Dortmund supporter too, <laughs> have to be. <laughs> but um, coming into this match or coming into this tie, I was really apprehensive about Spurs' chances. Um, I wasn't very optimistic based on the fact that Dortmund is they're kind of a, a really good attacking side, um, but they did have injuries on the defense. Um, Roman Berkey really didn't play that well. Um, so I'm not surprised this first came and threw and won this. And um, we're crossing our fingers that we're going to see Champions League football this season in the new stadium. Uh, I believe they're going to call it the North London Stadium, um, if not the Nike Stadium. Those are the couple of names that are being thrown around. But the way they're playing in the uh, league right now, we're not going to get... Sports got it wrong when they said it was the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Oh, my God. So bad. <laughs> um but yeah, chances are, based on the way that we're playing the league, we're not going to see Champions League play there next season unless we win. So, uh, supporters, uh, eat it up this year while it's there. Because uh, guess what? Arsenal and Manchester United are on form right now. So it's going to be, it's gonna be uh, hard 
to and, keep top four. In some more uh, dramatic uh, Champions League news, uh, Champions League giants Real Madrid fall to Ajax 4-1. Uh, they're losing 5-3 on aggregate. Uh, this is the first time that Real Madrid has been knocked out of the round of 16 since 2009-2010 season, which, I mean, when you think of Real Madrid, they've only won... The last uh, three Champions Leagues, yeah. Well, well I was going to say they've only really, they've only won La Liga. Uh, yeah, they've won, they've won the last four out of five, but they've only won La Liga I think three times in the last ten years. Yeah, um, they've been but, sacrificing La Liga for Champions League. Exactly. Glory. So you associate Real Madrid with Champions League football, uh, and to see them get knocked out in the way they did against a team like Ajax, I mean, it, it was it was great to see because uh, you know Ajax played well, and um, you had sort of the the arrogance of Real Madrid as a, as a team, but also the arrogance of you know Sergio Ramos with that whole yellow card debacle. Um, <laughs> That's even better than watching Neymar just absolutely lose it on the sideline. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it, it it was one of those situations where um, you know it, they're gone, and and now it's gonna really open up doors. Um, for uh, maybe an English team to win it this year. so we'll Maybe see. Ajax wins it again. Or Ajax, It's yeah. been a long time. Was it 1995? I would love Ajax to win it. But yeah, Ajax is everyone's favorite, like, second or third team, based on the fact that mm. most of your team's favorite players at some point played for Ajax. <laughs> yep. And yep. and Dusan Tadic had an impressive display. Uh, I mean, he finished night on with one goal and two assists, but everyone was talking about that beautiful roulette that he pulled off because it... It was like something out of FIFA. It was amazing. It was fantastic. It was, it was then, one. It was one that they're gonna gif about for ages. It's gonna be a. I mean, it's already FIFA move, so I can't. And it, and it led and it, it, about. and it led to a great um, goal for Ajax. Yeah. And so you know, um, this is one of the things I love about this sport, and I love about uh, this tournament is that you know anything can happen. I, I, I oh, guess yeah. anything is possible if you want to go the Adidas route. The ball's round. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that's going to do it for part one, guys. And part two, we're going to discuss this past weekend's fixtures in the Premier League. All that and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome back to the Starting Eleven podcast. This past weekend, we had some exciting... Uh, fixtures going on. Depending who your team is. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That Champions League midweek high was really got me going, and then this weekend just brought me back right back down. So it happens. Happens to the best of us. Um, so we're gonna start with Spurs Southampton. Uh, Southampton wins two one. Um, Spurs just continuing to tumble in the table. Just rip that Band-Aid off. <laughs> That's basically what you're doing. Yan <laughs> um, Valerie Ward-Prowse once again on their games. Uh, they connect to punish Spurs, who looked uninspired, I would say, despite yeah. the uh, return of Deli Ali. Um, but, I mean... Credit to Ward Prowse. That was a phenomenal free kick. Uh, and that's his uh, second time doing that against top six side because he did he punished United the same way. Um, and so, you know, good for him. But, I mean, Spurs have not looked hot these last couple of weeks. And uh, they're really starting to get into, like, that dangerous territory where, where top four contention is starting to become a battle that they should not have had to fight. Because we could drop down to six. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one or two bad weekends, and all of a sudden, you know, we're uh, we're an Arsenal this year. We're playing Farmers in uh, France and losing. <laughs> and losing. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, we got a hands off or sorry, hats off to uh, Yan Valerie and James Ward Prowse. Again, Ward Prowse has to be knocking on the door of Gareth Southgate's England squad. He's been scoring against top six opposition all season. Uh, I think since the start of 2019, he has five or six goals, uh, which is unreal for a guy playing for a relegation, a possible relegation club in Southampton. The fact that he's actually scoring against these clubs uh, goes to show his quality and goes to show the fact that, you know, he's a great dead ball taker. Um, And realistically, if Southampton does get relegated, I I could see top half clubs knocking on Southampton's door saying well, I th- I think how much you want I think he's going regardless like after those displays he's definitely 
a league above. Yeah, I could the, see him the, being shipped off in the or yeah. being bought in the uh, the summer transfer window. He definitely has some eyes watching him uh, after the performances that he's put in this. And season. he ha- he has for a while though. To be fair, he's always been a one of those Southampton products. Um, but this season's really really shown his quality in the face of adversity, and I think just another performance under the belt to prove that. Well, I think under Claude Puel, uh, Ward Prowse really didn't have a chance to to get into that starting eleven. But uh, Hassan Hudo really seems to like him, um, and it's paying off. It's paying dividends so far. So you know what? R- ride the wave while you can. If you're <laughs> Southampton, man, you got to try and stay in the prem somehow. And they're uh, they're doing it so far. They're uh, well. They're, they're doing starting all the right to make a gap right now, right? So yeah. they're beating the teams they have to be beating. So um, and I mean, realistically, realistically, teams they shouldn't be beating. So. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna be watching that relegation battle very closely in the next couple of weeks because it's gonna get real interesting. Um, so let's talk now. Liverpool Burnley. Uh, Liverpool win four two. So after Westwood's stunning corner kick finds the corner of the net to give Burnley the lead. Stunning uh, foul. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Allison felt that he was fouled. Felt. Uh, I think that, I, Alice- I, 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 <laughs> Did you, did, did you did you see a ladder in the goal? Because I didn't. I saw a human <laughs> being being knocked over. It was a foul on Allison. I said that to you guys. Uh, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't called. Um, so I feel like this is another situation where the introduction of VAR will help to eliminate uh, things like this happening. Um, and... You know, at the same time, it was still a stunning opportunity for Westwood to be able to take that corner kick and find that back corner. There was, you know, that still takes a whole, you know, that takes skill as, as you know, guys who play. So we call that whip. That's yeah. what we call. <laughs> we call. We call that whip, and some quarters of Anfield might also call that wind. It was windy as hell. Yeah, it was actually windy that game. That was one game where Klopp could have actually used the wind as an excuse, but you know they won, so you didn't, didn't need to. to. You didn't um, need to, but. I, uh, so Liverpool, you know, they finally took control of the driver's seat. They they came away with a decisive 4-2 victory, you know, which keeps them one point shy of uh, first place Man City. Uh, they also won this weekend uh, 3-1 against Watford. Uh, and so that title race, you know, it's I feel like this is sort of the uh, the never unclench oh, scenario yeah. that, that, of- that Cengage was talking about. Because now, you know, Liverpool, they, they cannot afford to unclench. They need to continue winning. And, you know, chasing that, you know, and hope that Man City slip up somewhere. As a general rule, though, um, never unclenching is is your default. It's <laughs> it's it's very rarely during course of season, usually after the title race is finished, which in this case will probably be after the final day, um, when you can unclench. Like, as a general rule, you should be clenched. It's just good for your health and good for your stress. Just, <laughs> just, just to be stressed, just assume... This is the way things have to be. No, honestly, um, Liverpool were far from vintage against Burnley. I think we're still suffering a bit of fluency issues with the front three. Um, that said, two out of three of them got on the score sheet. Firmino and Mane both had very well taken braces. Salah, again, questions about him. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of... I'm running out of ways to explain away his performance I think he's still doing everything he needs to be doing he's just I don't know it's it, like he's been on form for 18 months and he's been the Premier League's best player for 18 months I think I said this last week as well I'm gonna say it again I think something ha- had to give and it's definitely giving way but that said everybody seems to be fit and firing for me back amongst the goals money's back amongst the goals um and Adam Lallana my God, back from the dead and giving out a man, man of the match performance like that. that. That is amazing news for Liverpool, amazing news for their midfield depths after some questions about selection and Naby Keita and blah, 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 blah. Lalana, I'm well, back. Well, you, you, you actually just jumped into my next, uh, my next question. So oh, there was actually, there were some serious questions uh, that were asked of Klopp regarding, you know, adding Lalana back into the lineup. Um, and so I'm... I was going to ask you, do you think that was the right move? And apparently you did, so... Well, I didn't, um, though. I didn't think it was, because up until that point, everything we'd seen from him was very rusty, very, very... Um, he felt like he was a yard or two off. There was a youth game last year where he was supposed to come back from injury, and then he got himself sent off because he basically clubbed a guy, not unlike how Jack Grealish <laughs> got clubbed. Uh, it was very, very strange by Adam Lana, but he's cut his hair... 
and he's uh, cleaned up his eyes now. Uh, he's 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 come back into fitness and he's come straight back into form. And you know what? I think we should never ever 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 listen to Twitter over Klopp ever again. I mean, Twitter is not privy to the training sessions that Adam Lallana has been putting in for the last six to seven weeks, right? So, yeah, always trust Klopp. Always trust Klopp. <laughs> and never unclenched, never unclenched, don't forget about Well, because I remember I opened up my Twitter during the game and I just see, like, you know, uh, Liverpool fans, you know, demanding Klopp be fired for putting... And I was like, Whoa, Oh, those people, like, those guys can... <laughs> no, those guys can... They they, they need Walk a ride short pier. They need Walk a ride beater, mate. And then they need to be put back to bed because they're acting like absolute toddlers. Uh, never but let, co- let's also be honest. They're, they're playing Burnley... You have a player who needs to get match time and match fitness back. Thank Why you. not put him in there? Thank yeah. you. No, I, I agree, and I mean, you know, it it paid off for them this time, and uh, I feel like I, I would have it would have been nice, or I would have been curious to see if if it didn't pay off, and you know, if he didn't have the game that he did, uh, to see what the reaction would have been, and if it would have been you know stronger. Because when the selection was chosen, you know, there was a lot of pushback, but then after the game, after they won, it kind of all fizzled out. So. Um, but he didn't get a 10 out of 10 from Lakeep, so <laughs> I, I don't know what to think of him. <laughs> All right, guys, really? let's jump now to Sunday. Let's, <laughs> let's, Dusan's at it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's um, let's jump now to the marquee match from Sunday uh, afternoon, United-Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal with a, uh, a, a comprehensive... Resounding 2-0 win over United. Relax. Absolute tactical <laughs> disaster class by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You no, it was a David De Gea yeah. horror show. Yeah, De Gea decided he, bet- he wanted no, to grab no, wait, a wait, beer wait, wait, wait. I'm, in I'm the middle going, of the I'm, game. And, I'm going full Daily Mail here because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> J- 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 Justin keeps sending us these these articles about news around like the world from, from, from Daily Mail and it's always some sensationalized. So, Bear with me here. So, absolute disaster class by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and David De Gea on what was a night to forget. It's a good thing that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did not move back into his old home because, let's be real, he's packing. He's already halfway back to mold in shame. You know, fans are calling for his head. Shut up. <laughs> hey, it was an away loss. Man, those don't happen under Ole. Nope, they don't. No. And uh, this was Solskjaer's first Premier League loss. And look, United had a lot of opportunities, but you know what? They failed to capitalize. Uh, Lukaku should have scored, but you know he managed to hit the crossbar. He just didn't get enough sort of mustard on that that shot. And, and Rashford looked pretty non-existent out there. Uh, you know, he lacked quality touches. Um, and bit too much partying in Paris. <laughs> and you know what? And I'm, you know, I'm not going to use that as an excuse, but that could be it. I mean, there was just, there was so much energy. There was so much intensity. There was, there was that, you know, I feel like that they might have been coming down off of that. And, they, and they, looked, they played like they were. They looked They hungover. looked tired. They did. Um, but at the same time, look, I mean, when you actually look at the goals that Arsenal scored, okay, and this is not coming as, from me as a United fan. This is coming from me looking at it neutrally. Uh, Xhaka's goal was well taken, but look, it was terribly read by De Gea. He completely fluffed his lines and he went the opposite way. He said that it was on the curve of the ball, but after they showed the replay again, the ball didn't curve at all. He just read it completely wrong and went the and opposite happens, way. And that happens, though. It does happen, but it, but a, a world-class goalkeeper like De Gea, you, you take that shot 999 times out of 1,000, he stops it. Mm. Um, and, and Aubameyang's penalty was weak. All right, I'm not going to sit here and continue to beat the VAR horse because we've done that enough. And we've discussed at length the quality of Premier League referees on this podcast. But, I mean, look, it was called. Obama Young took his chance well. And, look, there you have it, 2-0, and United were down for the count. And, you know, they dropped a fifth. But that being said, you take away that penalty call, which was weak, and may not have been called with another referee in charge. You take away Xhaka's goal because, you know, like I said, 99 times out of 100, De Gea goes the right way and stops it. You're at a nil-nil game, which I think would have been more um, more accurate representation of what we saw on the pitch. Yeah. I don't think Arsenal looked masterclass. I don't think that they they dominated United. They just they took their chances when they had them, and United didn't, and that's the way the game goes, and, and United lost 2-0. Yeah, my friend of mine, uh, we've been talking about this game at length. He's an Arsenal fan, and he thought United were the better of the two sides. Um, that said, he d- 
does seem he he is overly critical of Arsenal, and he uh, he he rarely has anything good to say about them. But it, on the balance of things, it did seem like a fairly balanced match. Um, United just couldn't string it together in the final third. I think they made some good plays. They 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 had good movement, and I, and like the Ole team was there, the identity was there, but they just couldn't make it work on the day. I think uh, this was the coming out party for Burn Leno. Oh, right, finally, yeah. we see the Burn Leno that was Bayer Leverkusen's savior. FIFA career for so many legend, years. by the way. He is he's a great goalkeeper, and finally we saw it. I hate that I have to praise any part of Arsenal, but Burn Leno pretty much won them the match there. Obviously, Lacazette's penalty when he went down, very, very soft. Uh, when you look at the replay, not not very much of a, not very There's much contact. It, Still no. goes down. Um, the goal from Xhaka, If De Gea doesn't cheat to his left, he has a ninety nine point nine nine percent chance of saving that. But instead, he cheats to his left, and obviously uh, doesn't go so well for him. Yeah, he he just misread it and. Look, United didn't play horribly, but they also didn't play amazing. Like, they didn't play amazingly, but they also didn't play horribly. And they looked dangerous when they had the ball. And like you said, Cheng, is they just lacked any sort of quality finish or quality touch in the final third of the, of the pitch. And that's sort of where the goals are scored. Um, and like I said, you you take away the penalty because it was weak. Um, and you take away that 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 fluff from De Gea, and and you have a nil nil game. So I, I'm not gonna sit here and and as a United fan, I'm not gonna sit here and dwell on that match too much. Uh, I'm gonna see now how they respond um, in the next match, and I'm gonna see how you know they come back, and and that's gonna be the real testament to this team uh, and the squad is to see how do they bounce back now. Old Trafford fans call for Norwegian manager's head. Nice. You know? He's reading the actual headlines. Yeah. <laughs> You're the worst. You're the Solskjaer worst. in tears. <laughs> no, did you hear Solskjaer is actually going to evict Virgil van Dijk from his four million pound uh, mansion? Bullshit. That's uh, not real. So Van Dijk is going to go uh, live on uh, live on the street somewhere. I don't know. Oh, for no. the guy who for the guy who literally starts every uh, podcast with bullshit facts, you know, for you, to, <laughs> for you to jump in and be like, "That's not real." Relax, right, sir? Relax. Listen, I'm not I'm not overly <laughs> invested in the goss of of our players or anybody else's players for that matter. I just like using it for comedic effect. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's gonna do it for part two. In part three, we're gonna discuss Toronto FC, and we have a special guest joining us. All that and more coming up on the Star Eleven podcast. Hey everyone, if you've liked what you've heard so far, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review to let us know what you think about the show. We would also love to hear from you, so please, if you have any questions, comments or concerns, please send them our way over at thestartingxipodcast at gmail.com. That's thestartingxipodcast at gmail.com. For more general abuse, be sure to at us and follow us over at xipodcast on Twitter. Now, let's get back to it. All right, and welcome to part three of the Starting Eleven podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, Andre McRae. He is the co-founder and head of the Durham Red Army, which is a Toronto FC supporter group based out of Durham, Ontario. What's going on, Andre? Oh, same old, still breathing. (laughs) So we're glad to have you with us, buddy. Thank you so much for joining in. Um, So I just want to kind of start off talking about the uh, DRA um, that you are the co-founder of. So for those of you who might not be familiar, what exactly is the Durham Red Army and how did it come to be? How did you guys kind of get it started? Well, like most people who are Toronto FC supporters or football supporters, everybody looks at the, the south end of the terrace and gets all, you know, gushy over having a supporters group and doing that well the issue with a lot of the groups is that they're so centralized within toronto is that any commitment that you have you you basically have to you know book it there and really spend so much time in toronto that's it's not always feasible so we figured there's enough supporters out in the durham region area that you can always find one wearing a a shirt or a scarf so start one up and just you know get the get the support out here really kind of get the guys going and also a great excuse to just get absolutely annihilated during away games that you don't decide <laughs> to go out there for so for for me it was kind of a no-brainer and and john butcher the other co-founder was really adamant that we really you know do this and we do it the, the proper way and we have our own kind of set group and and we figure with all the teams that we support including the national team and we durham red army seemed the most appropriate because co-founder john actually is part of the 
Voyagers. So they did the original Voyagers group. So it was uh, it was almost quite fitting to sort of jump in and, and start one up. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, the more support that a team has, the better. And, and it's nice to see that there's support coming, not just from the core of the city, but kind of coming from other parts of the GTA as well. Um, so, like, can you give us a little bit of insight around what comes with co-founding a supporter group? So, um, like, do you guys have a specific meeting place that you guys meet up or a specific section that people can find you in at the games? Well, the beauty about our group is we haven't reached uh, official, official status to get our, our section in there because, again, the problem is you have to generally bump somebody out of them. And so for us, we have been rec- we have been recognized by the people in the brass up top from especially all the away days and away trips that we've done and home events. So in terms of like the meetups, we actually, because Durham is such a large area, we, we segregate into almost like little quarters depending on where they are. And we'll, we'll set up these different establishments or bars to watch the away games or we organize everybody to actually head to the away games. So we did that for the CONCACAF last year. We got a couple people out for that. Montreal is always an easy trip. Same with Columbus. So that's kind of what we do in that. In terms of finding us in the stadium, you'll always find us in the south end or at least close to it. And really just kind of look for one of the scarves that we, we kind of require members to, to wear. They get pretty familiar around the area. So how many people do you guys have at this point? Uh, about 50 or 60, give or take. That's not bad. Yeah, it's not, I mean, for Christ's sakes, for, for something where we don't have our own designated seating, people can take on the, the cheap seats. That's It's pretty decent. No, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that t- Toronto FC, as a fan base, might struggle with, especially on the south end, is that there are so many different groups and they're all sort of fractured you know all have their own philosophy on how what it means to be a tfc fan and how to act and support the team um and what sets durham red army apart from those groups a lot more freedom so everyone has their niche right and ebriati is is a lot more strict and comes from the very barra brava you know ultra side of things then you have like kings which you know kind of focus on their military item and that's kind of that ordeal and then you sector you know they've got everyone everyone singing red patch boys similar thing to kings everyone's kind of got their little niche and, and i find that that fracturing kind of becomes problematic because there's no cohesion there's no unity with them whereas us there's a lot of free mobility a lot of mm. them came from other groups a lot of them still try to actively you know participate in group activities you know i sit a lot with inebriati boys i know some of the guys sit heavily with the red patch boys and so it's a good way for us to sort of be that little bridging and that gap between the groups that traditionally not necessarily didn't get along, yeah. but just had, had, had just some different opinions on how to support. Whereas us, it's just, it's support, you know, yeah. wave a flag, stand and scream for 90 minutes, take your pants off. I don't care. <laughs> as long as you're doing it appropriately and just consecutively, then that's, that's really where we kind of stand out. We try to keep it a little bit more relaxed in that sense. And just to kind of touch on that, um, so I know that there had been some discussions last year around some of the supporter groups about uh, talking to head office about kind of tearing out the South End and making it almost like a terrace. Uh, and just so what I was going to ask you was, should these splinter groups unite and become kind of one big fan base, um, especially with some of the issues that have, have happened over the last year with some of the other supporter groups? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, would you prefer to see all of these smaller sort of fractions come together and join together as one? Or do you kind of like the fact that there are different um, supporter groups with their own sort of customs and traditions and rituals? There's, it's, it's kind of a mixture of both, right? Because nobody's going to want an amalgamation where you lose the fact that, you know, everybody's, oh, I've been a, a season seat holder since day one. You hear that crap all the time. <laughs> that's me. It's, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never hear the enemy oh from God, this guy over here. Like a, it's, ser- it's like a vegan and just, just never shut up. Literally, about it. it is. And, it is. <laughs> you know, you know, before they even know what sport they're talking about, you're like, oh, great. Uh, but that was the thing is that these guys, you know, a lot of them have put a lot of groundwork in, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. So they don't want to lose their status or their, their heritage, so to speak. But it is very fractured. And with that fracturing comes, how do you have one cohesive voice? So one of the ones that they talked about, or even the idea is a warrior style thing, where you each have your own group and it's there, but it's all united under, say, one capital, one person. Because, you know, there are different groups of these different clubs all around the world, right? South America and Central America, Europe. So they just, they have different groups, but they're all at the game being run by one person. Yeah, which I, I do agree, I think would make it a little bit 
better just because I've noticed as somebody who sits just outside of the supporter section um, and sort of being able to see it from afar, I have noticed that there's been a lot of times where the South End has seemed sort of disconnected and you kind of have, you know, different songs and different chants going on at the same time, which can be nice, but it, it really kind of um, fractures like the... Um, the atmosphere because it's hard to kind of follow along and and especially when you want to get the entire stadium going with you i find that can be difficult sometimes because yeah. i sit closer to like the red patch boys whereas uh you know those who sit on the other side closer to kings you know they're going to be in like a completely different sort of atmosphere and so it, i i think i do agree that it'd be nice to kind of have everybody under one capo um you know sort of being led well speaking from person first-hand experience so i sit in 113 um like I said, I've sat there since since the team started. Oh, yeah, tell, me, tell me one, Peter, <laughs> again. Tell us more. Yeah. Really, really. Yeah. Since, since day one. Thanks a lot. Five or six words in before he had to <laughs> <laughs> So basically, I've kind of seen the, um, I guess you could say, the, the change or the evolution of the Toronto FC supporter section. So it's gone from, um, you know, where it was a lot of just trying to figure it out, getting by from you know by the seat of our pants um to having these different supporters sections or i guess supporters groups and each of them trying to overpower the other um i I do agree that maybe there there could be some sort of you know something to bring them together while they still have their own identity and their own difference um but you know it, it just becomes a little bit disjointed sometimes when you have say you know uh 113 is doing something different than 112 which is doing something different than 116 um and i don't know how it sounds for the players and i haven't sat at, i haven't been to the other side of the stadium to the north end or anything um to watch a match so i don't know how it sounds for them um but i i, I feel like it would be a jumbled mess it's we yeah i was gonna say is this that if you have multiple songs going off on a stadium at the same time that's great as long as it's from different parts of the stadium, you want the South End to be that driving factor to, to really galvanize the fans and galvanize the players. You want them to lead the charge. Similar to how the cop does for Anfield. I'm sorry, that's my bias showing. That's that's what I know. Um, <laughs> so, you know the, co- the cop is perpetually drunk. That's how they're so loud. Uh, so, and they they lead all the, the chants and they do it together. Like there'll be some section there are different supporters groups within the cop but there's one group that that starts it another group starts it and then the whole stadium gets it going so wouldn't it be nice if everybody could get what's that song wouldn't it be nice if we you know um no but my my point is that is you know I, I don't understand the mentality of these groups trying to one-up each other especially somebody who did only sort of again to Toronto FC in the last five years, you know, my experience is mostly English football. Um, you know, people have held on, they've, they've not made a point of holding on to their season ticket as, as sort of like a, a flex, as, as a bragging point. They've held on to their season ticket for 30 years because they wouldn't be able to get it for another 50 years. You know, the, the value is more inherent than the experience almost. You know, and, and I don't feel like the Toronto FC season ticket has that same value. Is that a reason why people are feeling pride in in in, in sort of showing off as like how long they've held it? Less it, less I don't know, I think less that. The biggest concern when you have people who are these these first timers is it's more a, a seniority thing that you don't get in the rest of the world. Like you think about just even people working at Tim Hortons, like, oh, I've worked yeah. here for a year because they think now all of a sudden that matters more than somebody who's just started. And that can be one of the biggest disjointing issues is they feel that because they were there longer, their voice matters more versus, you know, somebody who shows up to every game and goes to away games and, and you know, shows up to, to help with a TIFO painting. But this person who's, oh, I've been here since day one. Well, does that does that automatically make you more important? You know, especially if you're thinking from a supporter's culture. And even even to further the points you guys are saying, in terms of just disjointed different songs, that's not even the biggest concern. My God, it's singing the same damn song. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> you, ever, yeah. you ever watched, you ever yeah. watched a, a preschool try to sing the anthem? Yeah, that's it's exactly like right. that, but with like 400 other people and drunk. And it's <laughs> mm-hmm. just the same song done from Red Patch Boys to Kings. It'd be the same song, but the tempo and pace is so off. Like, just go and stand in the center, and it's like you just one is going in like a three, four time, and one is going in, I don't know, five, nine time, or some random. You don't understand how in the world they're ever, you know, getting this kind of this kind of time frames, but that's 
generally the biggest issue is we find that just just even singing the same songs if they could just have one person directing them but you're right in terms of in terms of that you know the the season ticket thing it, it is much more valuable when you when you get it from the overseas clubs the clubs that have been around a hundred years you know mm. these it's just it's impossible to get a new one whereas here they're they're pushing it left right and center they'll they'll sell you a ticket anywhere they don't care right just, just sign up buy a ticket you know mm-hmm. get a season so we want to talk to you now a little bit more about um sort of how the uh tfc fan base uh, sees the team at this point in time as you know they've had a bit of a rough off season um and so i was just kind of curious like so speaking from your, your perspective andre um like how do you feel about the off season that we've had uh and with the brass uh, like what are, what are your thoughts uh so far about what has happened to this team over the last couple of months and with how head office has kind of handled everything so there's a there's a, the best way to sort of describe how you know I and a lot of people are feeling is there's a nice scene in Waterboy. Uh, oh no, we suck again, <laughs> and, and that pretty much summed it up in in a small five second snippet. And that's where I mean, realistically, you came off such a high that you know event you were gonna have to have it down. You know, every high has to have a low. Just we thought maybe it wasn't gonna be so quick, but. You know what? It, the off season—it's just—it's a rattle, it's a shakeup, and I, and I think you know what—it's it, done better to have this kind of a shakeup because you know how anybody was pumped, for, you know, for any season, and it's you have this off season that that doesn't nothing really happens. They just sign somebody new that's kind of promising, and you had a great season before, and you just get your hopes up, and it's so excited for the season, and then you shit the bed. Well, mm-hmm. that 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 hurts versus we're like, just win a game, just. Mm-hmm. We've already done Just, that. Dude, <laughs> we've, we've already crossed that first hurdle, which is so important yeah. because, God, that bar was set so low. They needed that real bad. And it's, like, realistically, yeah, and, and that's, I mean, we have to look at it through through a supporter's eyes. So you lost your, your biggest player in Sebastian Javinko, arguably one of the best MLS players of all time. Um, and then you lose your, your key playmaker in Victor Vasquez, who, granted, was not as healthy as he could have been last season. Um, but I think that's the nature of the MLS. You have this this consistent turnover every single year where there's a lot of in and outs. So you almost have to get used to the fact that you have to resign to the fact that you're going to lose players and you're going to gain players every single year. Um, that's why I've never bought a jersey with a name on the back because it's it's constantly moving. Oh, it, it's that's that's actually a problem with the structure in MLS just in and of itself, right? Yeah. MLS owns the contracts, so it's not like these... These teams can protect these players, which, you know, desperately we would have done for Raheem Edwards or Betashore or, you know, any of these guys that just got plucked and just stolen right out from under us. I can guarantee you, you know, we would have said, you, you can suck my dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, though. I can totally see Bazpachenko just saying, suck it. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, I think the reply when uh, we really want Raheem Edwards and Beta Shore probably would have been get fucked and <laughs> I think that's it. Like not even sincerely Beta Shore would have just, or, you know, Bezichango just, you know, get fucked period. That's what have been the email back. So I think uh, Mark Anthony K as well came from the Academy, Yeah, but he plays for LAFC now. Well, I mean, you know, you, you get Cincinnati, like that, that draft system just screws you. You course. have to pick, you, you, you like you gotta pick your favorite players. It's like picking your favorite kid, but you don't really have a favorite kid. You're just picking ones with the best chance. So, kind of speaking about this whole, um, you know, in and out of the league and, and players coming and going. Um, uh, so, Toronto FC finally lands uh, Alejandro Pastuello from KRC Genk. Uh, is this somebody that you think fans should be excited for? And I mean, what are you most looking forward to with this addition to the squad? It's it's a he's a very in depth player. Anybody who's ever taken a look at that whole league is it's you know one of the biggest things you're going to hear a lot about is well uh, you know it's it's a not the premier league it's not this it's not that but you have quite a decent amount of teams that it's a very technical actually, league it's an extremely technical league and you don't get a lot of high scoring teams because it's in terms of point system it's a it's a difficult league to progress and they don't realize that you have access to the champions league the europa league and this is one of the the extra leagues that the Pozzolo has actually played in is mm-hmm. that he's played in Europa. You know, we're getting somebody who's not grotesquely old, who's actually played in these massive international competitions, 
and has played against the people like you know Club Bruges and Antwerp, and these are these are reputable teams, you know. And he's the the second leading in assists in the league, so that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Right? When we have somebody that can't get the ball to the front line, you know, for Hamilton to knock it over the bar. Um, <laughs> no, Terrence Boyd, I think, took over that. Spot. Terrence Boyd. That ball's still oh, yeah, flying. Yeah, that ball's still flying. No, no, that, that's only that's only if he's standing still. Um, <laughs> if that if the ball's you know rolling at a zero uh, mile an hour pace, then it's it's guaranteed to go over. Now, what do you but, say to what do you say about the people that that are a little bit on the the critical side? You know, they, there's a lot of KRC gang players who did come to the MLS, MLS fan pages and say, "Oh, yo, amazing pickup, great buy for Toronto. He was amazing in the Belgian league." And then there are the people who are who do make a very good point and say, "Well, if he's so good, then why hasn't another team already picked him up?" I think it comes down to look how many you want to you want to understand how the players' systems in this work is. It's a very interesting spot to fill. Generally, teams have already filled it. You know, it's it's they can't afford to fill it or they've already filled it. And then, you know, you have people like this that become breakout stars. Well, you know, you get 100 offers from them. But yeah, okay, somebody's going to jump in and swoop them up. But is he going to want to go there? Because is, is the team good enough? And if it is good enough, is he going to possibly see playtime? Or, or will he just get there and he'll be benched for the whole season? So I think for him, it's most important while he's still in somewhat of a prime to go somewhere where... He can get a lot of playtime, make some decent money, and he can. And MLS no longer is the well; it is still a retirement league in a sense. But now people are being picked up from there into the Premier League, like what would happen with Atlanta FC. And now they're really league now. And then you, know, you have Alfonso picking, Davies going over to Bayern up. as well. So and I'll, like in the, exactly. In. The only thing we need now is for us to become the Tuesday night in Stoke, and then we'll be a real league. <laughs> can, can they do it on a cold, snowy night in Toronto? Hey, you know what, though? They did that against Montreal a couple, two years ago, back in 2016. I, I was there. That, that was our, <laughs> oh, that was our cold, wet, rainy night in Stoke. <laughs> Excellent. You mean, I mean, cold, wet, rainy, well, cold. Cold. It's just cold. cold. Yeah. It's cold. A lot of cold. <laughs> it, it, An excessive amount of cold. <laughs> can they do it? Can they do it cold? Just yes. I'll, I'll take. Done. I'll take rainy and wet. That means it's above zero at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Andre, how does the fan base recover uh, from star players leaving? So like Javinko leaving, Vasquez leaving. Um, how do? How are we supposed to deal with it? You're really going to need to just change up your formation. I mean, you can't. You you can't just rely on these guys because anything can happen an injury and, and leaving you know death what anything can happen so you just really have to adapt and change you know find find new formations find the strengths in guys you know position them around and move them around you know may not work it, it may maybe in the next couple of years until we can find the right combination again because in this league it really is it's not uh you know it's not a, an, an arsenal of the the 2000s it's not a well, never Tottenham. It's not a... <laughs> He's not wrong, though. Um, <laughs> but it's not one of those ones where you can just call on big stars all the time and you can just buy them out. You really have to, at this point, just hope for the best and hope this combination works. And when it doesn't, you're like, all right, well, let's try a next one You know, next year and really see if they, they work well together, see if these players can gel. And if they can't, then you know, you're just kind of stuck. You, know? you just got to hope for the best, really. So I guess... Building off of that, how much faith do you have in Greg Vanny and how much faith is the, or how much, I guess, patience is the uh, the fan base supposed to have in Greg Vanny if he can't make it work with the new uh, additions to this squad? It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. One of the biggest things you'll see if you ever go online or talk to a TSC supporter is is it's it, pretty overwhelming right now is it's, it's a, a Chelsea syndrome where they're like, get rid of them. Yeah. Get rid of them. Well, I mean, I don't know if you've been around when we were labeled the worst team in the world, period. But I'm pretty sure he's done more than whoever we've had before. So it's, yeah, terrible season last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, but I, I don't think I don't think you can compare it to Chelsea because Chelsea have had a revolving door with regards to managers and also a revolving door for success. One season they're winning the double. The next season they're going sixth and crashing out of Europa. It's it's not really comparable to to kind of call it that. I think with Vanny, I think most of the criticism stems yes, 
they acknowledge that he's had record-breaking season. They acknowledge that he's the most successful in history, but they also question how badly it went wrong and like playing three at the back. Okay, fine, you start that last season out of just the just out of necessity with all the injuries to the first eleven, but then you persist with a system that doesn't work for the personnel that we do have, and that comes down to Vanny. That's not uh, that's not anybody else making that kind of call. And then the tactics that as a result suffer, the results suffer, and then the club suffers. Well, and it is, yeah. Of course, it, it's it's going to matter too when he's playing, you know, these decisions and these people. But it, it also comes down to he's not buying anybody. He can't prevent anybody from leaving. He has no control over that, and it's you get these players in now that he's not choosing. He's helping choose, but he's not choosing going, you know what, this should work. And then when it doesn't work, it's again comes down to the syndrome of, okay, well, what do I have? You know, where, where do I put them? What do I do? And you go from such a high to such a low so quickly. Well, you know what? Nobody cared when we were winning the Champions League. All of a sudden, it was it was what, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, we'll pick up these points later. We'll pick up – I mean, the, the telltale sign should have been right there. Well, you know, well, I want I want to pose you a loss. question, Andre. We've talked about this in the pod before, and I want to kind of see what your answer is for because I'm curious. So um, there has been some discussion about is Greg Vanny a great manager who uh, during the 2016-2017 season, um, you know, managed very well and and you know brought a team the the success that they had, or is he a mediocre manager who just had really good players under his helm uh, who kind of did the work for him? I think it was actually I'm going to go more on the on the manager side because we've had some of these players before and we weren't seeing the that them in effect really kind of achieve the same results and to see them kind of work together as such a cohesive unit like you know players don't get that cohesion they have the talent they're the ones who put the ball in the net but it's supposed to be the manager who's supposed to bring them together and get that that sort of flow together and I think he just you know it was such a shock to have these people go and replace them with what he probably assumed were going to be ideal replacements and then it just didn't work and you really could see the frustrations and the stress in him right near the end of the season where it's just you know he's he, he no matter what it was he was trying was just not seeming to work so I don't I don't think he should stay forever because that's that's an issue Arsenal had and I'm not willing to go through that again <laughs> and, but I definitely don't think he should be put on the firing squad for one bad year I think it's I think it's time to see what happens this year and then you know decide all right is the chopping block the thing and, and it's now him or was it really just the players that he had all right. So, um, my la- are we, we're running out of time here, but I just want to ask you, uh, we can ask you one last question here. Um, so, uh, just in regards, because you are the founder of a supporter group, you are the head of a supporter group, um, and you know, supporter groups are the lifeblood of any uh, football club. Um, so, I mean, how can we as supporters make ourselves voiced and known to MLSC like supporter groups do in Europe? Uh, and how does a supporter group go about attaining legitimacy? So in terms of voicing yourself, it, you know, really it's it's activity and it's showing up and it's it's just making the notion of getting your, your face shown and your voice heard and, and actually being physically present, especially on away trips because, you know, for the, the Champions League, especially the final, there were a lot of high high brass there that, that had to mingle with the supporters and it's a good way to show your face and a good way to get your message across. If the cohesion can happen with these groups, you're going to see a huge shift, right? Like especially with safe standing, but in terms of legitimacy it's that's honestly it's it's time and effort because the legitimacy from the club may be different from the legitimacy from other groups you know are they gonna are they gonna support you are they gonna have your back when you know shit it's the fan because it, it has happened even with inebriati's past and now whatever you feel about them there was a point in which they got sanctioned for something that was absolutely ridiculous and there was a, a very nice protest all across the supporter section where they sat down and were quiet and it was it was very effective because the players notice it and it affects them. And when it affects them, you know, mm-hmm. front office is going to see it. We went on to lose that. Exactly. Game, exactly. And it was, it was a trip. We were it was attributed up. to that sort of break in, in the balance, you know, for how many years, even when we were terrible, we were still considered one of the hardest stadiums to try to play in because it was just such a, a, yep. a hostile in a sense. It was it very was raucous. raucous and it was very positive to us. So I think that's the one way that really, you can get the supporters groups to really have that extra voice is just cohesion and constant, constant pressure, you know? Even if we do that, though, there's always going to be questions about how far does it go? Because MLSE will look at that and say, look at that money pit or look at that cash cow. They'll just try and cash out on it. So is there something more we could do? 
aside from because I always thought that was sort of like yeah. the bare minimum. It's to show up and, and, be well, and that's actually still hard for some people because as soon as we stop having successful seasons, you, you start seeing the, the numbers diminish. Even within some of the groups, you see a lot of people who just don't even want yeah. to show up or you know, I think yeah. not not per, not purchasing things. Ironically, not not spending money in the stadiums. That's a good way to get your point across. That look, this isn't something you can milk. It's it's we're here to support the team. We're not here to support you. you. We're yeah, not the Leafs. Well, especially <laughs> with MLSE. So MLSE is like one of the biggest, I guess you could say, capitalist organizations in in Toronto or in Canada, um, or I guess in MLS. In North as American well. sports. Yeah. So realistically, if you if you stop spending money and they're not seeing the profit out of Toronto FC, they're going to they're going to force their hand to do something, you know, to make the fans happy, to make the fans come back, and to make the fans spend money. Um, so I mean, the fans do have quite a lot of of pull when it comes to what happens with the with the team whether or not that's whether or not it's as evident as it should be um there is a, there is a lot i guess that that we can change and that we can uh we can influence um but i guess uh the next question that we have andre kind of just to somewhat wrap this all up um obviously the cpl is starting uh, i think it was 49 days away or something like that was the first game 48 days away um are you going to be attending any cpl games um what do you think the cpl should be doing to promote um their their new league a brand new league brand new uh nationwide league it's going to be one of those ones where it's going to be a really big uphill battle and i am so goddamn excited for it yeah because it's finally <laughs> for once a league i don't have a team so i can generally just go and enjoy the matches and not get absolutely pissed when we lose so it's it's going to be nice in that sense promoting it it's going to be a bit harder because you know that you do have toronto right there but i think with the ticket prices being cheaper it being more in your backyard you know these areas that they're picking are pretty populous as long as they're able to do the scheduling right i think it'll pick up pretty quickly because of that concept of canadian pride as well as really really trying to hit home that this is for a national like the men's national team like this is a really good way for us to build on that i think that's going to be a good push because you can piggyback off of of the popularity of that and i mean you've now got yourself a good eight years before we've got a we've got our world cup here so i think i think that's more than enough time you can really utilize the world cup you can utilize like you know the gold cup all of these items, as long as you can piggyback off those things, I think that they can do pretty well because they can force them into people's faces. Just it's a nice, that. it's a nice blend between, uh, like, no, I'm not going to say Sunday league, but sort of like a local league and something a little bit more legitimate. It feels like, it feels, it feels much more intimate, but it's also very, very serious too. And I think that's 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 one of the biggest attractions about it, and it. I hope that this this goes well. I hope that CPL takes off because. There needs to be more teams in it. First of all, there's only like what eight, nine, seven, nine, nine teams, I believe. Nine teams. They, they have a plan for expansion, right? Um, it's just it's it's a gradual expansion, right? And I hope I hope that this is the beginnings of what becomes a much wider grassroots movement to get football popular in Canada. Like not just not just like popular by whatever metric you want, but just like really genuinely like kids grow up wanting to be a football player. And it's, you know what, it, it's it's going to hopefully, if we treat it right and we do it right, you can get it like some of the European leagues and, and some of the South American leagues where they really look at, you know, you get this fanatic support of this second division team that, you know, as soon as you get a player or as soon as you get somebody homegrown or as soon as you win a cup tie, it's now like this big, massive thing. You know, you've, you've really stunned the world and that's what you're going to treat it as. And I think if you see anything in the, the OHL or the AHL with the hockey it's it's quite doable, mm-hmm. you know. Oshawa supporters for for the OHL team, and these are just sixteen year old kids. is is fanatic. I think they sell out every single game. So it's like, I mean, you, people are stri- They're they're desperate for for home talent. That's not you know going to a local field and getting an eighty dollar ticket for drinking. Like I think they're just absolutely, you know, really looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Yeah, and uh, we'll make sure we try to catch a game together. I have a final question. Final question for that. <laughs> last, last, final, final. Sorry, who's going to win the Premier League? Oh God. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, West Ham. <laughs> I was going to say both of your answers are going to be wrong because I, no, I hate both those no, teams. It's, it's, 
So, so yeah, I'm getting outed for this one, and it's I'm I'm it's probably going to end up being Man City. I don't want them <laughs> to win because I don't want a dynasty, and I don't want Liverpool to win because I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear They'll it. They'll never we, stop. We've been waiting thirty goddamn years. See, they <laughs> thirty years and they still won't shut up about it. Like, okay, very funny. Like, I'm, <laughs> very funny. But no, it's. But you know what? You know what? If a series of string of events and Arsenal managed to sneak in with certain cup ties, because it's it's a pretty interesting set, whereas all the big ones, Chelsea, Tottenham, Man City, and Liverpool all have to face each other in yeah. some form, and Arsenal just have a string of home games against lower teams, it's going to be an interesting tie because Liverpool and Man City are good distance ahead, but three wins and three losses or draws for Man City and Liv, and you've got a pretty close... Race I like your optimism. For, for a lot of stuff. It, I have to be. For Christ's sakes, I have. That's all I have right now. I, I just know. said at the beginning, Arsenal, don't get relegated. That was my only requirement. It's just don't get relegated. We're a lot better than what I thought we'd be. Uh, very optimistic. Andre, buddy, thank you so much for joining us, man. We are so grateful to have you on. Please come back anytime. And... Uh, we're going to be doing, uh, so we've actually been kind of talking about how to sort of brand the podcast and, and how to sort of extend it, you know, and take it to the people. And so we're thinking about sort of doing some, uh, Instagram live post-match reactions after some TFC games. Uh, so be sure to hit us up and find us after the game so we can, uh, you can be the first one on man Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Again, I'm always down to, to jump in, you know, TFC is it's kind of a love and support, and, and beyond that, most of my most of my leagues are like the Japanese league and you know Liga MX. So I'm in Mexico four times a year. I'm in Japan a couple times a year. So damn, that's that's a <laughs> wild travel schedule. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's uh, I get to watch football from six a.m. to six p.m. <laughs> but like I said, man, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And that's gonna do it for us here on the Starting Eleven Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have a question or a comment, please send us an email at the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. And on behalf of Peter, support Canadian football. <laughs> Chengiz, subscribe to PewDiePie. Andre, uh, footy for life. Footy for life. <laughs> and myself, thanks for listening. <laughs>